The subject of this speech is a topic which has been discovered recently and which may not exist at all. I may be talking about something that does not exist, therefore I'm free to say everything or nothing. I in my stories and novels often write about counterfeit worlds semi-real worlds, as well as deranged private worlds, inhabited often by just one person, while meantime the other characters either remain in their own worlds throughout, or are somehow drawn into one of the peculiar ones. This theme occurs in the corpus of my 27 years of writing. At no time did I have a theoretical or conscious explanation for my preoccupation with these pluriform pseudo-worlds, but now I think I understand. What I was sensing was the manifold of partially actualized realities lying tangent to what evidently is the most actualized one, the one which the majority of us by consensus gentium agree on. Some of my fictional works were in a literal sense true. I wrote out these dreams 
in novel after novel, story after story, to name two in which this prior ugly present obtained most clearly. I cite The Man in the High Castle and my 1974 novel about the U.S. as a police state called Flow My Tears, The Policeman Said. I'm going to be very candid with you. I wrote both novels based on fragmentary residual memories of such a horrid slave state world. People claim to remember past lives. I claim to remember a different, very different present life. I know of no one who has ever made this claim before, but I rather suspect that my experience is not unique. What perhaps is unique is the fact that I am willing to talk about it. We are living in a computer programmed reality and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs. We would have the overwhelming impression that we were reliving the present deja vu, perhaps in precisely the same way, hearing the same words, saying the same words. I submit that these impressions are valid and significant. And I will even say this, such an impression is a clue that at some past time point, a variable was changed, reprogrammed as it were, and that because of this, an alternative world branched off. You're listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. The discipline of game theory was pioneered in the early 20th century by mathematicians Ernst Zermelo in 1913 and John von Neumann, 1928. The breakthrough came when John von Neumann and Oscar Morgenstern's book, Theory of Games and Economic Behavior, published in 1944. This was followed by important work by John Nash from 1950 to 1951 and Lloyd Shapley in 1953. Game theory had a major influence on the development of several branches of economics, industrial organization, in international trade, labor economics, macroeconomics, etc. Over time, the impact of game theory extended to other branches of the social sciences, political science, international relations, philosophy, sociology, anthropology, etc., as well as to fields outside the social sciences, such as biology, computer science, logic, etc. In 1994, the Nobel Memorial Prize in Economics was given to three game theorists, John Nash, John Harsanyi, and Reinhard Selton for their theoretical work in game theory, which was very influential in economics. At the same time, the U.S. Federal Communications Commission was using game theory to help it design a $7 billion auction of the radio spectrum for personal communication services. Naturally, the bidders used game theory, too. The Nobel Memorial Prize in Economics was awarded to game theorists three more times, in 2005 to Robert Amon and Thomas Schelling, in 2007 to Leonid Hurwitz, Eric Maskin and Roger Meyerson, and in 2012 to Lloyd Shapley and Alvin Roth. Game theory provides a formal language for the representation and analysis of interactive situations, that is, situations where several entities called players, take actions that affect each other. 
The nature of the players varies depending on the context in which the game-theoretic language is invoked. In evolutionary biology, see for example John Maynard Smith, 1982, players are non-thinking living organisms. In computer science, see for example Shoham Leighton Brown, 2008, players are artificial agents. In behavioral game theory, see for example Camerar, 2003, players are ordinary human beings, etc. Traditionally, however, game theory has focused on interaction among intelligent, sophisticated, and rational individuals. For example, Robert Amon describes game theory as follows, and I quote, Briefly put, game and economic theory are concerned with the interactive behavior of homo rationalis, rational man. Homo rationalis is the species that always acts both purposefully and logically, has well-defined goals, is motivated solely by the desire to approach these goals as closely as possible, and has the calculating ability required to do so, end quote. And that's from Amon in 1985 from his book that was listed earlier, page 35. So you can see here that uh, game theory folks is what it's all about and all of these things going on in our reality are all based upon game theory principles and that's what we're talking about here tonight how it all ties together it's the transhumanist game it's a spiritual game okay the spiritual game of transhumanism and many things that we see going on in society the way that uh these different ideas are being leveraged against us right now. We can see how it's all been gamed against us. Uh, so that being the case, we're going to talk about a few of these things. And open the opening sequence here tonight, uh, that was uh, Philip K. Dick talking about things such as the Matrix and the Multiverse. And uh, that incorporates other ideas into the mix, too things like the Mandela effect. Well, what are these things and how are they being leveraged against us and, and how is all this possible? And a lot of this ties back to uh, different aspects of hermetic thought or the ancient alchemical sciences. Mind precedes everything and if uh, people can, uh, in positions of power, can tap into some aspect of your mind to create a specific reality that they want, uh, well, doesn't that change things in a, a very literal sense? Uh, it's all about perception, folks, and that's that's what a lot of this game theory stuff is based upon. It's based upon the, the perception of uh, the player in the game, okay? And, and make no mistake about it, they use these game theory uh, algorithms and, and, and such uh, to facilitate different scenarios that they want uh, within our society and to, within the public mind. And that's, that's what it's all about. Because here, here's the truth to all of this. Perception is reality. Whatever it is you perceive as reality around you is what your reality will be. And haven't we seen this going on in spades the past two years? Think about it for a, a few minutes here. Let, let's really break down some of these different ideas. Okay, if you could be convinced that uh, something that 
doesn't really exist does exist and is affecting a large number of people in the world around you but you can't see it you know in your own personal sphere but if they could convince you that it's happening out there somewhere and they implant this idea in your mind and they reinforce that idea over and over and over again repeatedly uh, through different forms of media things that are designed to affect your mind in a negative way and they repeat this process over and over and they repeat this idea and they, they implant this idea in your mind well leveraging off one of the old hermetic sciences uh, the first hermetic principle the principle of mind that mind precedes all consciousness came first consciousness precedes everything so uh, your thought processes precede everything within your reality what you think is your reality is what you make your reality and this is a concept that's lost on a lot of people okay that the concept that perception is reality well what you perceive as your reality is your reality right well here's the thing your mind creates the perception your mind creates the reality and if somebody could manipulate your mind to perceive something that's not truly there but you perceive it as being there you will act as if that is your reality and that's exactly what they have been able to accomplish with everything going on in society today and uh, they may actually double down on that kind of concept later on which i think they have now uh, where they've they've taken the idea they've introduced it to the masses they've gotten people to buy into the whole narrative and once everybody bought into the narrative well that kind of made it true in a sense didn't it and we'll get into this a little bit more later as we read into a different document here uh, that kind of outlines how this all works and it's important that we we understand this and we we have these conversations because uh, in my view what started out back in early 2020 and has transcended down uh, through you know two years now over two years of all this nonsense going on what started back then was a contrivance they rebranded the flu folks they took a standard flu they gave it a new name they put a new twist on it they leveraged different uh, occult archetypes in their favor to implement the plan to implant the idea in the minds of the uh, public consciousness and they successfully did so and they got people to believe that this thing that uh, didn't really exist existed okay so then if, if that being the case they got people to buy into this narrative and believe in this thing that didn't exist and and now in some sense it does exist because people believed it to be so so they successfully rebranded something different into something else all right this is kind of a process of metamorphosis or metamorphoses as we talk about in uh, the works of Ovid see Ovid understand where it's going yet uh, so you can understand uh, a couple of things this is this is an alchemical process this is a transmutation they took one thing and they transmuted it into another one thing that people commonly were familiar with and they turned it into something new and novel and they transformed the whole world around this concept it's a new mythology folks they've crafted a new mythology 
And in so doing, they're playing this game still with people. Now, here's the part where it gets even more sketchy now. Why did they do this? What was the end game? Well, we shouldn't say the end game. What was the short-term goal of transforming people's mind and thought forms into believing this thing? What was the short-term goal? Well, we could see now, with hindsight being 2020, pun absolutely intended there, hindsight being 2020, we can absolutely see what was being done. They were playing the game, weren't they? And they, they played their trump card. Then they were biding their time for the blackjack idea, the 21. So we, we started with the 2020, the hindsight being 2020. We didn't see what it was at first in the beginning, but now looking back, we understand fully well what it is. And they were playing their game of 21. They were waiting to put their blackjack in place because they'd already played their trump card, the ace of spades. So all they needed was the knave, the blackjack. And they were biding their time until they got that card in place. And now the game board has been set and the house wins, right? Well, we could see now moving forward into uh, the 22, the, the number of the master builder, or the catch 22 that we're now trapped in here. Uh, the whole short-term goal of this game they're playing has been the rollout of this vaccine for this thing that does not exist. And in rolling out the vaccine that does not exist, all of a sudden, now this thing exists in a physical form in this reality. See, it was planned this way. First, they start with the mind. The mind precedes all. So once they implant the thought in the mind, then they're able to actually develop something to make it manifest in our reality. And they do this with so many different things. And this is a perfect example of how this works. First, they implant the idea in the mind. They get people fearful of this thing, to believe this thing, and act in certain ways. And eventually, they coerce much of the population to go out and get injected with this newly developed thing that uh, they've implanted in the minds of the people okay so now this thing exists in the physical world and you'll notice that uh, in the beginning of this whole situation back in 2020 uh, i could tell you this from my own personal experiences and stuff i never really knew of anybody who got very deathly ill with this thing that they claim is a coronavirus okay and they they invoke many different archetypes here to empower this idea so they claim there was this new novel coronavirus and uh, that people were getting sick and dying from it well i hadn't seen anybody get really sick or die from it anywhere in my social sphere in the year 2020 like at all people got sick yeah like as if they had the flu and they recovered and that was that and it was relatively mild case closed right 
Well, here's the thing. Come later, after they rolled out this whole vaccine agenda and they started injecting people with this vaccine, lo and behold, people started getting sick with something different that's displaying all these different symptoms that they were claiming in the early phases were affecting people and also different ones. And they, they categorized everything. In, in my view, here's what had happened. In 2020, they successfully rebranded the flu, and we could look ad nauseum and find all the data and everything, how, how they skewed all the data and manipulated everything to reflect this, that everything that they were saying is this new coronavirus was this new coronavirus. We could see how they manipulated the data to make it appear as if this thing existed and was really killing people and making people very ill. But I don't know about the rest of you out there, but in the early phases of this back in 2020, I really personally didn't know anybody that got as severe as symptoms with this as has happened recently, okay, in, in 2021, well after the vaccine was rolled out. And now after supposedly, uh, you know, they should have high enough levels according to their early estimates that there should be herd immunity by now with this thing especially in certain areas and where i live in pennsylvania it's a highly um democrat leaning area and people buy into a lot of the nonsense that the news media tells them hook line and sinker and it's it's got a high prevalence of uh, people here who complied with all of the nonsense so it's a highly vaccinated area and we didn't really see any of this really ramp up and affect us here until well into uh, what you would call the the vaccine rollout. So uh, nobody had it prior to getting vaccinated. And then all of a sudden here, everybody was coming down with this thing. And people started dying from it and getting very ill from it. And of course, they, they don't blame the vaccine. Of course not. It has nothing to do with it, they say. Um, it's a new variant. Do you see the games they're playing with this? First, they, they make up a, uh, a new idea for you to latch on to. They claim this is something that it's not. And they put the idea out there in the public. They get everybody afraid of it. They shut down the world economy over this thing. And people are starting to really question it. Hey, you know what? Um... Is this really worth, like, locking ourselves in, in our home and destroying businesses and stuff for? And uh, this kind of thing, people aren't really getting all that sick from it, from what we see. Uh, so they start to question it. And then, you know, they come out and they, they manipulate people through fear, make them believe even further in this, and convince them that they have to go get vaccinated for it with this new um, genetic therapy essentially this brand new technology never really been tested thoroughly in the human population before and they convince a massive number of people to go get this so a massive number of people go get this and then lo and behold this thing starts really rolling out in the hospitals and stuff around the country and the treatment protocols and everything they use uh, just to double down on you know the efficacy of how deadly this thing is uh just to, to fudge the numbers and, and make it look worse than what it is. So they do that, and then they start 
um, blaming the fact that uh, there's still people that haven't gotten the vaccine and they're the ones spreading it all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, the people that have been inoculated against this thing can still catch it and get very sick and die. Um, and, you know, it has nothing to do with, you know, this, this whole thing being a failure or being fraudulent in any way. No, no, they, they double down all the more. And they convince people they have to go get booster shots. And then people go and start getting booster shots. And then what happens? We get massive waves of sick people with this. And basically, what they've done is they've taken an idea from fruition, okay, in the, in the beginning... In the early phases, something that did not exist. They convinced people it did exist. They convinced people to take measures against this thing. And then they went ahead and took the liberty of creating this thing and injecting it into a vial into people's arms and then sending them out to spread it around and get sick and die with it. Okay? That, in my view, is essentially what has happened. And uh, I think there's other vectors and stuff involved with it. And it's not being described to us adequately as to what this thing really is but uh, rest assured it's an artificial man-made thing whatever it may be it's it's induced in people through use of technologies uh, it's as if they were able to throw a switch and make everybody become violently ill all at once all at the same time here in late 2021 just prior to the winter solstice and uh, you know going through the harsh uh, several weeks through winter, the, the, the lowest point of the sun, and moving forward through the winter months when people's immune systems are down, naturally because of the lack of sunlight and things. So this, in my view, is what has been done. They're playing a game, and it's a very spiritual game. It's spiritual warfare at the heart of it all. So uh, what's happened here? Like we said... They've convinced people in their minds first that this thing existed. And then once they got enough compliance through people and, and were able to leverage people's uh, thoughts and feelings on this in the right way and, and convince them well enough that this thing does exist, then they went ahead and started manipulating things a little bit and, and make something to make it appear as if this thing is a real thing and does really exist. And they were able to uh, implement this idea in a phased rollout, and they've been successful at it so far. But people are beginning to see through the ruse. Now, people are beginning to see that uh, they, they've, they've been gamed, okay? They've been gamed. They've been convinced to go take these vaccines that now, in, in the view of most of the public, these vaccines, they see this as being, okay, it's ineffective, it doesn't work like they said, and now they just want to make as much money out of it as they possibly can, so they keep telling you to get booster shots. Now, this is from the view of the general public that doesn't have any concept or idea about uh, any of these occult-type uh, belief systems and things like that that we often uh, talk about on this show. Um, so th they don't have a clue about that. They just think it's, you know, it's all about the money, okay? It doesn't work. They, they really believe that there's this thing out there this virus that exists that's making people sick and that uh you know they came up with this vaccine but this vaccine doesn't work how it's supposed to and you know then just the big drug companies are just trying to make money off of it and that's their viewpoint so they see the fraud and they understand that there's fraud going on 
but they don't get the full depth and scope of it. And that's all part of the game, the spiritual game going on. And it's the spiritual game that's being spearheaded by the transhumanist philosophers and the transhumanist movement here. The people within these mystery schools, these uh, people in positions of power that are looking for this transhumanist singularity, and that's what they're using all of this for. Okay, even right down to the vaccine rollout, because uh, they're injecting people with technologies that they have no clue what they are. Okay, people have no clue what's being injected into their bodies, and that's only part of it. That, like I said, it's a vectored approach. Uh, they've been uh, putting stuff in our food and our water supply and spraying us uh, in the skies with things for many years that we really don't know what it is. And they're inundating us with different uh, uh, frequency bands, new frequency bands that came online about the same time this whole thing rolled out. Uh, so in my view, it's a multi-vectored approach they've taken in doing this and in, in making people, first of all, believe this thing existed and then bringing evidence of it to fruition through that. But I find it strangely uh, strangely telling that in the early phases of this thing, people didn't see it. They didn't see people getting sick with this. And, you know, they really didn't... I don't know if they really bought into it 100%, but then through the course of 2021, after the vaccine rollout, then we started seeing the game being played a lot harder, didn't we? Uh, not to say they didn't play the game hard in the early phases when they locked everything down, but then the approach they took, they, they played too fast in the beginning, and they, they started to uh, be able to change up their strategy a little through the process. So that being the case, they started to, in if you recall back, in the summer months of 2020, they lifted some of the restrictions, they lightened up some of the restrictions and things, and then they started to manipulate and tweak the data again to make it appear as if people were getting sick again, uh, to justify the rollout of the vaccine, which they had well into the planning phases at that point, and in, in my view, I think they already had it manufactured uh, by mid-2020. Uh, so that, that being the case, when you actually look at the, the vast number of these vaccines, that had to be produced in order to uh, <laughs> administer as many doses as they had. It's not physically possible with the, the laboratory setups and stuff they have, the manufacturing capacities that they have, in order to get that many vials of vaccine dose out in such a short time. And then you also have to question some of the other aspects of the narrative because um, at the same time this is going on, they're also crying about uh, an alleged crisis in supply chain, right? Well, how come this supply chain crisis hasn't affected these vaccines in any way, shape, or form? There's still plenty of them out there, folks. They're everywhere. You, you could get one everywhere. You could go down to your local supermarket, your local drugstore, churches, schools, wherever. They have them everywhere. They're available all the time. All you got to do is call or not even call. Some places you could walk in. You don't even need an appointment. Just go right up and get the jab. They have it. It's out there. And many of these allegedly required special refrigeration and stuff in order to, uh, you know, keep them viable. Well, if there's a supply chain crisis 
and there has to be you know enough carriers uh, in the trucking industry and the logistics industry to be able to handle these refrigeration uh, specifications for this thing wouldn't this be one of the first things to be affected by a supply chain crisis but yet it's not is it so there's holes in their game plan and there's holes in their logic and they know it and they're getting called out on it but they're still doubling down their window of opportunity is running short here though but the the bottom line is this it's a game it's a mind game it's a spiritual game it's a battle okay and uh, how are these kind of things possible well these things are are possible because of the different stratagems that they use first of all and plus the things that they understand about the old alchemical or natural sciences that most of the public do not understand and uh, foremost to this is the whole hermetic principle of mind the first hermetic principle the principle of mentalism or the principle of mind where mind precedes all consciousness precedes all okay all things become manifest through thought or through mind see so it's not the opposite and people have been conditioned to believe okay here's the world this world around me exists outside of me without me here and i have little to no impact in it well that's not true uh, because of the whole perception of reality thing going on in your mind at all it all happens in your mind first see mind first so what the world is and how it functions is a, a process of the perception of your mind and when you become you know when you come to realize this that your reality stems from your thought and not the other way around that reality creates your thought then you begin to understand how much power we have as human beings we can effectuate change in our reality around us and that starts in our own minds and through our own perceptions see and the people in positions of power they know this and they utilize this to bring about the things they want in this reality by manipulating your perception and your mind to help bring this about to bring this into manifestation in the reality it's a type of vampirism folks it really is let's uh let's take a look here we're gonna read from a book called simulations by jean baudrillard and this is cited as the work the main work uh, that the movie the matrix is based off of if that gives you an indication as to things we're talking about and in this book we're going to read in the beginning here in the introduction part the, the beginning part where he talks about this Mr. Baudrillard talks about what he calls the precession of simulacra all right and and you'll get where this is going once we get reading here then you'll understand how it is that they they give different concepts and ideas to you to be implanted in your unconscious mind so that you manifest them in physical reality okay and uh, once again this leverages off an old principle which uh, Mr. Broderlard here doesn't really talk about uh, directly in this book but it's it's the old hermetic principle okay the principle of mind how your mind 
precedes all. Um, your, your thought forms affect the reality around you. Your perception shapes the reality around you. And this is the most important key point I could get across here. Okay, in this spiritual game that they're playing, they're using your perceptions to shape the reality. They're not shaping your reality. I, I said that wrong. <laughs> uh, they're, they're not shaping your perceptions with the reality. They're shaping the reality through your perceptions. Understand, it's not that they've made this thing manifest already in this world, and then they're changing your mind to accept that. No, it works the other way around. First, they alter your perception of the reality to make it manifest in the physical reality. See, and people get lost on this point, and we've been taught to think something like this is a bunch of nonsense and hooey. And it's clearly not the case. Your, your thoughts influence reality. You have influence on your reality, okay? Um, well, let's, let's read into here. First, in the first part here, Baudrillard goes ahead and he quotes, The simulacrum is never that which conceals the truth. It is the truth which conceals that there is none. The simulacrum is true. And he quotes Ecclesiastes, is where he says that's from. I'm not familiar with that statement or that uh, that quote there in Ecclesiastes, but that's where he claims it's from. All right. So let's go ahead and we'll read on here. He says, If we were able to take as the finest allegory of simulation the Borgia's tale, where the cartographers of the empire drew up a map so detailed that it ends up exactly covering the territory, but where the decline of the empire sees this map become frayed and finally ruined, a few shreds still discernible in the deserts, the metaphysical beauty of this ruined abstraction, bearing witness to an imperial pride and rotting like a carcass, returning to the substance of the soil, rather as an aging double, ends up being confused with the real thing. Then this fable has come full circle for us and now has nothing but the discrete charm of second-order simulacra. Okay, and I'm going to pause there for you. He's talking about what he calls this Borges tale. And what this tale tells is the, uh, uh, the emperor of this land, he wanted the most accurate map of the land that could possibly be made. So the cartographers, they made a full-size map overlapping the the real land so that's what they did uh, so over the years when things deteriorated and changed uh, the markers of the map or the the you know the the places that they marked as the edges of the map and stuff like that and the borders and all the different landmarks and everything all the markings they put on the land that took up this entire land mass uh were left but things had decayed through the years and you know border lines and stuff have changed well what had remained was their their drawings and where they they had put the landmarks and things like that so that was all that remained okay and it was one and the same with the physical landscape that's what this is talking about so it's saying that uh, a simulacrum of uh, or a simulation can be confused with the real thing when it's as accurate as it is so let, let's read on and see what else he has to say but he uses that as an allegory for what he's talking about here all right 
Abstraction today is no longer that of the map, the double, the mirror, or the concept. Simulation is no longer that of a territory, a referential being, or a substance. It is the generation by models of a real without origin or reality, a hyper-real. The territory no longer precedes the map, nor survives it. Henceforth, it is the map that precedes the territory, precession of simulacra. It is the map that engenders the territory, and if we were to revive the fable today, it would be the territory whose shreds are slowly rotting across the map. It is the real, and not the map, whose vestiges subsist here and there, in the deserts which are no longer those of the empire, but our own the desert of the real itself. In fact, even inverted, the fable is useless. Perhaps only the allegory of the empire remains, for it is with the same imperialism that present-day simulators try to make the real, all the real, coincide with their simulation models. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Listen to that again. Present-day simulators try to make the real, all the real coincide with their simulation models. So, what, what could we draw from that? First, they create this simulation of what they want, and then they plant, implant that idea in the minds of the people to try to generate or manifest that in the reality. And a perfect example of this would be how they used computer models to generate a genetic sequence that uh, they claim is this virus. They created it in a computer database, folks. Never existed in the natural world. They've never been able to find it. They only took bits and pieces of different viral genomes that they uh, were aware of and piecemealed them together to make a model in the computer, and then they determined that, uh, well, this is about an 80% match for the first SARS coronavirus uh, so we're going to call it SARS-CoV-2, and uh, we'll piecemeal the rest of the, the genome in of what we don't know based upon some other viral sequences and stuff that we know or genetic sequences or protein sequences or, or however you want to view this, okay? It's all about sequencing in a computer. It's all a model. It doesn't exist in, in the reality. Well, this is what they based all this on. And then they went ahead and they, they built a... Uh, a genetic therapy to create these protein sequences or uh, or such things in the world. So they built it as a model first and then they rolled it out to the people in the gene therapy that they're calling a vaccine and now they've made this thing manifest that wasn't there before. Understand? Uh, so that's exactly what they're saying. The, the present-day simulators try to make the real, all the real, coincide with their simulation models. And don't we see so much of that today with these controllers? They, they like to use this artificial intelligence and all these different things. They are, they're all about generating all these computer models of this and that. And, you know, they try to bend and twist the perception of the reality to fit their simulation models that they come up with. These things don't exist in reality until... They make them manifest in reality by convincing enough people in this world to accept that and act upon that. And that's what's going on with all of these different ideas. Okay, let's read on. But it is no longer a question of either maps or territory. Something has disappeared. The sovereign difference between them 
that was the abstraction's charm. For it is the difference which forms the poetry of the map and the charm of the territory, the magic of the concept and the charm of the real. This representational image imaginary, which both culminates in and is engulfed by the cartographer's mad project of an ideal coextensivity between the map and the territory, disappears with simulation, whose operation is nuclear and genetic, and no longer specular and discursive. With it goes all of metaphysics. No more mirror of being and appearances of the real and its concept. No more imaginary coextensivity. Rather, genetic miniaturization is the dimension of simulation. The real is produced from miniaturized units, from matrices, being plural for matrix, memory banks, and command models. And with these, it can be reproduced an indefinite number of times. It no longer has to be rational, since it is no longer measured against some ideal or negative instance. It is nothing more than operational. In fact, since it is no longer enveloped by an imaginary, it is no longer real at all. It is a hyper-real, the product of an irradiating synthesis of combinatory models in a hyperspace without atmosphere. And I'm going to pause there, folks. I know it sounds like a lot of word salad and a lot of big fancy words, but essentially what he's saying is all of a sudden when the simulation becomes operational, it becomes what he calls hyper-real. And what this is what I refer to as the hyper-materialist paradigm. Okay, that's what we live in where they claim that their so-called science, uh, which only measures objective physical uh, things in, you know, in this place, objective things, not subjective things. It's only one form of measure. This is what they claim. They claim that this is all that there is then. So essentially what they're doing is they're subjugating the world and our perception of it to nothing more than the simulation of it. See, that's what it is. They've abstracted a model of what the world, what they want the world to be. And they've come up with all of these different scientific formulas and theories and things like that to kind of box it into what they want it to be. Okay, so they've created a, a mental simulation of sorts as to what our world looks like and is. And you could see this, uh, you know, when you look at the different uh, physical models of what people think our world is. And this, this goes back once again to the argument between uh, is it a globe earth? Is it a flat earth? What is it? See, same kind of thing. They've taken the public consciousness. They've steered it into thinking in one way about it. And they said, boom, this is it. Our science proves it. See, uh, the simulation we made proves it. Well, how does a simulation prove anything? See, and that's exactly what he's talking about here. It's, it's a hyper-real thing. Hyper-materialism. They, they've bound us in hyper-materialism, the materialist paradigm. People not accepting other more subjective things, like, you know, a spiritual aspect of things. Or a spiritual realm, per se. Uh, but we'll, we'll get back into that. Let's, let's continue with the reading here. In this passage, to a space 
whose curvature is no longer that of the real, nor of truth. The age of simulation thus begins with a liquidation of all referentials. Worse, by their artificial resurrection in systems of signs, a more ductile material than meaning, in that it lends itself to all systems of equivalence, all binary oppositions, and all combinatory algebra. It is no longer a question of imitation, nor of reduplication, nor even of parody. It is rather a question of substituting signs of the real for the real itself. That is, an operation to deter every real process by its operational double. A metastable, listen carefully to that folks, Meta-stable, a meta-stable, programmatic, perfect descriptive machine which provides all the signs of the real and short-circuits all its vicissitudes. Never again will the real have to be produced. This is the vital function of the model in a system of death or rather of anticipated resurrection which no longer leaves any chance even in the event of death. A hyper-real, henceforth, sheltered from the imaginary, and from any distinction between the real and the imaginary, leaving room only for the orbital recurrence of models and the simulated generation of difference. And we're going to pause right there. Did you catch all that? Did you catch all that? So basically what he's saying is the model becomes the reality because people accept it. See? That's essentially what it is. And he also identifies this system of modeling, so to say, or creating models for reality as a system of death. Do you understand? This is the, the cult of death that runs the world. This guy recognizes that in this writing, that these are the people that run the show, and that this this whole idea of, of trying to... Uh, how should we say build the reality around us via these models or these simulations that they do uh, these mental models and mental simulations and by uh, bringing them to fruition this upholds this death idea okay and michael hoffman refers to this as the reign of dead matter that's the age of transhumanism. That's what it's going to be, and that's what they're ushering in. The reign of dead matter. And that's exactly what this whole concept of the blackjack idea is all about. The reign of dead matter. We've been going through a transition phase here, folks. It's a changing of the age. Okay? And I know you've probably seen and heard all of the hokey stuff about uh, we're going into the age of Aquarius and all, and all of this. Well... There's a whole lot more to that than meets the eye, okay? And uh, these people playing this spiritual game of the transhumanist movement, um, they're trying to leverage certain energies against that, okay? And they're trying to change this age change into something else. And this is all part and parcel of things that are described in the book of Revelation as well. All these things are, are happening right now. We've been in a transitory state here, a transition phase. And uh, it's arguable as to when all of this started to shift over. Uh, but we see some serious focus points uh, that have been flagged for us by the dark occultists that run things in this world. 
we see some major shift over points, starting first on September 11th, 2001. And then uh, we see the fruition of uh, what was started then at the beginning of that cycle. What was started then we see come to fruition on March 11th, 2020. 19 years later. And, you know, these are all important numbers, but we're not going to get into that here. But anyway, so what was begun on in 2001 has come to fruition in 2020. Uh, and, you know, we see that now looking back. Because, like I said, it's the whole game, part of the game, is understanding the metaphor. Okay, so hindsight's 2020. We could look back now. We would not have recognized it for what it was, essentially, in 2020. Same thing with 2001. We didn't recognize that for what it was back then. It's the hindsight factor. And then, uh, you know, the way they played the game. Uh, now we see what came to fruition through 21. The blackjack. That whole idea. Which the, the blackjack, when you're talking uh, ace of spades, jack of spades... 21 in the game of 21 itself uh, ace can count as either 1 or 11 so that also encodes the number 11 blackjack also encodes the number 11 and that's important too I mean and we're not going to get into a discussion on all these numeric sequences and things like that and all the uh, gematria type things and numerology involved with it uh, that's not the, the whole point of tonight's discussion, but we could recognize it for what it is now. And now that we have entered the Catch-22 year, where we've been uh, manipulated into a trap of sorts, where now we have to act, and whichever way we act, it's going to create a negative consequence. The Catch-22, and it's also 22, is the year of the Master Builder. It's been The trap has been built perfectly for them, hasn't it? Uh, but now that the time has come for us to make a decision as to which way this whole thing's going to go, and I think the bottom is falling out for those people in control. They've forced our hand, so to say. They've forced our hand, us, the public, the masses. All right? And that's what they were trying to do through all of this. They're forcing our hand, and how we react now um, is imperative to our future. So... Uh, the thing is, the, these people in positions of power that have manipulated all these occult energies and things like that in this way and are playing this, this spiritual game, they think that they'll still come out on top with the victory. That not enough people really understand the true scope of what's going on with the things they're doing to react in time to really put a stop to the things they have rolling out. But there is hope, folks. There is definitely hope. It all depends upon how we react now and how we act and, uh, you know, how we play our hand in this. So that being the case, they think they've got the game locked into place. They think they're, they're going to get the victory here, that they, they've achieved their checkmate. But they're really beginning to worry because they, they are, did not predict... A lot of what has happened, what kind of backlash has come about now, and just how quickly people are beginning to see through this because there's a spiritual awakening going on. See? And this is not what they had planned for. Because, you know, their number crunching and their computer models and stuff 
can only do so much, but they can't truly simulate the human mind or the human spirit. And there's no stopping an idea that time has come. See? And th this is something that they've, they've war-gamed out for many, many years. Uh, so they, they think they have it locked up, but now they're beginning to panic. So they're trying to shift gears here. And they've been caught off guard. And so now is the perfect opportunity for us to turn this whole thing around. And I see a lot of that going on. But uh, the, the whole key here is not to capitulate to their demands. Okay? So, uh, you know, we see all these different things happening in society. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's get back to what we were reading here to get a little better understanding of how this all works and how these things have, have come to fruition. And, and then we'll get into the discussion about some of these other aspects of things that we started off the show with, uh, the things that uh, were addressed by Philip K. Dick. And uh, let's, let's continue with the reading here, because uh, in this work he goes on to talk about what he calls the divine irreference of images. To dissimulate is to feign not to have what one has. To simulate is to feign to have what one hasn't. One implies a presence, the other an absence. But the matter is more complicated, since to stimulate, or sorry, not stimulate, simulate, since to simulate is not simply to feign. Someone who feigns an illness, listen to this carefully, folks. Someone who feigns an illness can simply go to bed and make believe he is ill. Some who simulates an illness produces in himself some of the symptoms. Thus, feigning or dissimulating leaves the reality principle intact. The difference is always clear. It is only masked. It is only masked. Whereas, Simulation threatens the difference between true and false, between real and imaginary, since the simulator produces true symptoms. Is he ill or not? He cannot be treated objectively either as ill or as not ill. Psychology and medicine stop at this point. Therefore, before a thereafter undiscoverable truth of the illness. For if any symptom can be produced and can no longer be accepted as a fact of nature, then every illness may be considered as simulatable and simulated, and medicine loses its meaning since it only knows how to treat true illnesses by their objective causes. Psychosomatics evolves in a dubious way on the edge of the illness principle. As for psychoanalysis, it transfers the symptom from the organic to the unconscious order. Once again, the latter is held to be true, more true than the former. But why should simulation stop at the portals of the unconscious? Why couldn't the work of the unconscious be produced in the same way as other symptom in classical medica medicine. Dreams already are. going to pause there for a minute, folks. That was a lot to take in. So basically he says here, if somebody feigns or pretends to be sick, sometimes they could take on some of the symptoms of that sickness. Okay. But then he also goes on to say, well, does that mean that, you know, somebody uh, can't be sick? 
And then he goes on to differentiate, well, see, if any type of an illness like this can be simulated, uh, does that, that makes the medicine lose its meaning, or the treatment of it lose its meaning, doesn't it? Uh, so uh, these, these things are food for thought. I mean, this, this is very deep. Let me read that again. For if any symptom can be produced and can no longer be accepted as a fact of nature, then every illness may be considered as simulatable and simulated, and medicine loses its meaning since it only knows how to treat true illness by their objective causes. That's an important idea, folks. That's an important idea, and he's pointing it out right here in this book called Simulations by Jean Baudrillard. And this book has always been cited as uh, one of the primary source materials for the movie The Matrix. If that gives you an indication as to what kind of things are, are happening in our world and the ways in which we're manipulated. So essentially they're saying that the simulation becomes true, but the simulation's also untrue. So it, it doesn't, it's a matter of perception, see. If the perceiver perceives it as true, it can be true. If somebody perceives it as false, well, then it's an imaginary thing. Let's, let's read on here. He goes on to say, The alienist, of course, claims that for each form of the mental alienation, there is a particular order in the succession of symptoms of which the simulator is unaware and in the absence of which the alienist is unlikely to be deceived. This, which dates from 1865, in order to save at all cost the truth principle and to escape the specter raised by simulation, namely that truth, reference, and objective cause, causes have ceased to exist. Let me read that again. In order to save at all cost the truth principle and to escape the specter raised by simulation, Namely, that truth, reference, and objective causes have ceased to exist. What can medicine do with something which floats on either side of illness, on either side of health, or with the reduplication of illness in a discourse that is no longer true or false? What can psychoanalysis do with the reduplication of the discourse of the unconscious in a discourse of simulation that can never be unmasked? since it isn't false either. Think about this, folks. So what he's saying here, let, let's pause here and, and speculate a little bit about what's been said here. So essentially what he's saying is, what, what can medicine do with something that's not true? See? But it could be true. So they would change up the medicinal approach they would take depending upon whether it's true or it's not true and they can't really make the assumption either way okay uh, because it's all about perception understand so what they're arguing here what the guy's arguing and i know i i hope i'm not losing anybody here but what he's he's arguing is that if it only exists in the mind is it truly treatable or is whatever they do going to make a difference with it hmm? Well, let's, let's read on. So he's saying here that the, the discourse of this simulation can never really truly be unmasked for what it is. Because, you know, if you could come out and say it's a fraud, well, people are going to say, yeah, but I got sick and I took this medicine and it 
it helped it it made it go away like it, it healed me I, I became better well the argument there would be well I got sick with this I took medicine and got better so therefore that proves that this is a real thing does it this guy says no not necessarily <laughs> see that's the tricky part about this whole simulation theory in you know simulation and simulacra and the, the you know all the nuance and stuff that goes with it all right they've created this false paradigm but people bought into the false paradigm and essentially gave their energy to it and made it true in a sense okay so what they're treating you with for like this said illness it may not be necessarily what they think it is or what they say it is or what you think it is for that matter all right so you know it, it's one of those things how objective is this reality how objective are these things and uh, there's also such a thing as what they call the placebo effect so could the medicine was it really the medicine that made you better or was it the belief in the medicine that made you better see so, I mean, all of these things could be argued either way when it comes down to it. And it's all very um, philosophical and speculative in a lot of ways. But uh, the whole point is, if, if you can build a simulation model of something and then try to model the reality around it by convincing people that that's the way it is, it works to a certain degree. That's the bottom line here. So, let's read on. It says here, what can the army do with simulators? Traditionally, following a different principle of identification, it unmasks and punishes them. Today, it can reform an excellent simulator as though he were equivalent to a real homosexual, heart case, or lunatic. Even military psychology retreats from the Cartesian clarities and hesitates to draw the distinction between true and false, between the produced symptom and the authentic symptom. If he acts crazy so well, then he must be mad. Nor is it mistaken in the sense that all lunatics are simulators, and thus lack the, this la and sorry, and this lack of distinction is the worst form of subversion, against its classical reason, armed itself with all its categories. But it is this today which again outflanks them, submerging the truth principle, outside of medicine and the army. Favored terrains of simulation, the affair goes back to religion and the simulacrum of divinity. I forbade any simulacrum in the temples because the divinity that breathes life into nature cannot be represented. Indeed, it can. But what becomes of the divinity when it reveals itself in icons, when it is multiplied in simulacra? I'm going to pause there, folks. Pay attention very closely to what he's saying here, because this talks directly to the language of symbology, okay? The symbol, what it represents, what it's become, what it once was, what it once represented, okay? Pay attention. Let's read that again. But what becomes of the divinity when it reveals itself in icons, when it is multiplied in simulacra? Does it remain the supreme authority? simply incarnated in images as a visible theology? Or is it volatized into simulacra which alone deploy their pomp and power of fascination, 
the visible machinery of icons being substituted for the pure and intelligible idea of God. I'm going to pause there, folks. What he's basically suggesting here is these images, these symbols, these icons, they take on a power of their own. A power that doesn't necessarily reflect that of God. Understand? And these things could be used and manipulated because they have an illusion, a simulation of this power. They're a lesser artifact of this principle. Okay, let's read on and see what else he says here. <clears throat> this is precisely what was feared by the iconoclasts, whose millennial quarrel is still with us today. Their rage to destroy images rose precisely because they sensed this omnipotence of simulacra, this facility they have of effacing God from the consciousness of men, and the overwhelming destructive truth which they suggest, and I'm going to pause there, what the, these icons or symbols or, or these things, what they suggest, that's what he's talking about here, what these symbols suggest and the power that lies behind these symbols and this simulation that they become of the real thing. So here's what he says here. That ultimately, there has never been any God, that only the simulacrum exists. Indeed, that God himself has only ever been his own simulacrum. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So that's basically what many of these people in the secret schools, the secret society groups, that's what they believe. They understand the power of these symbols, but see, they don't necessarily believe that there's a God that the symbols are actually the energy itself that they can manipulate to become God. That's why they use symbolism so much, the language of symbolism and the power of words. See, now that's not saying God doesn't exist. I'm just saying that what this represents here is the idea that these symbols have an inherent power to them that have been uh, steered away from what their original intent or meaning was or what they were originally intended to um, what they were originally intended to symbolize so to say and that's God or the God principle the idea of God and instead they've become a symbol of power see people substituted power for God understand it's it's an irreverence it's it's a perversion it's an inversion of the natural order and the natural meaning of these things. But that's what this simulacra idea has become. What this simulation is through the power of symbology, through the use of symbols to, uh, to kind of imbue this power idea into the things that they do. All right. Let's read on. <clears throat> Had they been able to believe that images only occulted or masked the platonic idea of God, there would have been no reason to destroy them. One can live with the idea of a distorted truth. Now, once again, he's referring back here to what the iconoclasts believed. They believed that these symbols, taken away from their true representation of, of God, or the idea of God, and used in other ways, were destructive. Okay? And that uh, they suggested to the people wielding them that there was no God that God himself was just a symbol 
or a simulation. See? And that, that's where in these iconoclasts, that's where they had a problem and were trying to destroy these symbols. But you know what? That doesn't solve the problem, does it? If anything, it just adds to the mystique of these symbols. And that's why many of the meanings of these symbols that are by and large used by uh, the secret society groups and people in positions of power, that's why we really don't know what the, the meanings and stuff behind them are. We're, you know, it, it's part of the mystique of it all. See, it's, it's part of the mystery. That's why they're called the mystery schools. It's a mystery. It's, it's a mind game. It's a spiritual game of the mind. The use of these symbols. That's exactly what's been going on from the dawn of mankind here. It's the mystery. Okay? And it's a game to them. These people in charge and these entities in charge of things. Anyway, let's, let's read on. <clears throat> One can live with the idea of a distorted truth, but their metaphysical despair came from the idea that the images concealed nothing at all, and that, in fact, they were not images, such as the original model would have made them, but actually perfect simulacra forever radiant with their own fascination. But this death of the divine referential has to be exercised at all cost. It can be seen that the iconoclasts, who are often accused of despising and denying images, were in fact the ones who accorded them their actual worth, unlike the iconolators, who saw in them only reflections and were content to venerate God at one remove. But the converse can also be said, namely that the iconolators were the most modern and adventurous minds, since underneath the idea of the apparition of God in the mirror of images, they already enacted his death and his disappearance in the epiphany of his representations, which they perhaps knew no longer represented anything, and that they were purely a game, but that this was precisely the greatest game, knowing also that it is dangerous to unmask images since they dissimulate the fact that there is nothing behind them. And I'm going to stop right there with this, folks. So now you understand. They don't want you looking for God because they're afraid you might find him. And then they can't do this to you. They can't use these symbols and these ideas, these archetypes. See, they can't use them against you. They can't manipulate them in ways to make you believe in their science or what they're telling you. They don't want you looking for God. That's precisely what this is saying here. They don't want you unmasking the images to try to get back to the core of what their original meaning or intention was. Because it's not the same intention that's become of them today. Because they've taken them as a type of simulation a cheap knockoff of the real thing, and used it to simulate power. Do you understand? Do you see the game they're playing? And he called it right here what it is, a game, the greatest game. I'm going to read that again, okay? This is important to understand. They say, which they perhaps knew no longer represented anything, and that they were purely a game but that this was precisely the greatest game, knowing also that it is dangerous to unmask images since they dissimulate the fact that there is nothing behind them. So, this is their greatest fear, okay? They claim these images, these, these symbols, all of these, these things that they leverage, these energies they leverage for power, that there's nothing behind them, 
Okay, they, they claim there's, there's nothing to it. It's nonsensical. There's no meaning behind it. It's a trick. That's their claim. But they, they also seem to know that it's dangerous to unmask these images. Okay, but not because that'll that unmasking these images will dissimulate the fact that there's nothing behind them. What it'll really do is if you go back and you, you search long and hard through these different symbols and, and different ideas, eventually you'll come to a spiritual understanding that there is a God. And they don't want that. They want you to believe the opposite, that there is no God. And that's why they don't want you searching these things out or really truly understanding them. That's why they claim, no, there's no meaning behind it. And once you find out there's no meaning behind it, and then you find out, you know, there's nothing behind it that we have no power over you. Well, it's, it's the opposite. They only have power because they use these different symbols because of the inherent value in them. Okay? Not because there's nothing behind them. That's part of the game. Part of the trick. Look over here. Look at this hand over here. Look at the right hand. Don't see what the left hand's doing. Understand? So, you know, it's, it's disempowering for them when people go digging and find out true things within this game. So anyway, we could see how they manipulate people's minds, okay, to bring about different events in this world, different situations, different things. They, they fall back on this hermetic principle of mind, of mentalism, of how the mind precedes reality, how your perception is reality, and how you pursue, perceive the world around you. Well, that's your reality. So if you perceive in the world around you that there's a deadly virus that's killing people all over the place, if you perceive that to be true, that's true in your reality. That's your truth, your reality you live in. And you will act accordingly in that environment, that reality. Uh, it's, it's a mind game, folks. And the same thing can be said. All of these different symbols and all of these different ideas that they manipulate and tweak to, uh, to screw with human consciousness, essentially, all of these things, they use them as tools. Tools to do that so that you don't really truly understand your reality or understand that you have power over your reality or understand that your perceptions precede your reality and not the other way around. And that's how they're able to pull off things like the Mandela effect in a certain sense. Now, I believe there's a spiritual side to that as well. There's a lot to it, and it's it's more than just, um, you know, misremembering things and stuff like that, like most of the debunkers and out there claim. There's more to it than that. I mean, I've personally witnessed numerous Mandela effects. They're screwing with reality by manipulating your mind and the minds of the masses. If they change enough people's minds, it becomes, uh, you know, manifest in this reality. And that's that's essentially where it begins. It begins in the mind. The Mandela effect begins in the mind. And then it effectuates a real change or manifests a real change in your reality. And some people see things, different things, than others. And, and see, that that's part of the whole trick. It's about perception, personal perception of things. 
and each person is going to perceive different of these Mandela effects. And we're all affected, even the people that deny it. They've all been affected by it. Okay? Everybody is. And it, it goes beyond, and most people will dismiss it. Oh, I just remembered it wrong or something, or it's a coincidence or that kind of thing, or uh, who cares, it's just a stupid, uh, you know, logo, or it's just a stupid line in a movie or whatever. It goes way deeper than that. It, I mean, r real effects are happening in the real world around us, but it's all beginning in the mind because perception... See, if you, if you follow back, fall back to the hermetic principle that mind precedes all, well, that being the case perception precedes all too so your perception of reality changes first and then the reality changes to manifest in that way and that's exactly the principle that's been used against us in so many ways and we see that being played out in spades in the things going on today they've made this thing into a reality for so many people for enough of the world population that in some sense it is a real thing Okay, and, and, and that's the point. But they, they also, understanding the nature of what they call simulacra here, or simulation, or, uh, you know, how this, this whole hermetic principle manifests in our reality and how it affects things, they, they see it as being both true and false. It's both real and unreal. It's hyper-real, as the gentleman there, Baudrillard, describes it. Hyper-real. It's materialist. It's hyper-materialist. That's why our science is hyper-materialist, because it's bound to this hyper-real idea, okay? They want to be able to quantify and measure everything, because if they could do it, they could have absolute control over everything. And everything's not objectively measurable, folks. Everything's not objective in this reality. Many things are subjective, and that's what they're trying to do. It's trying to make the subjective things objective and measure and control them and they're failing in some regards to that but they have found some successful ways to manipulate things especially the human mind to bring about certain situations in this reality and that's what they've done and that's what all of these things represent and it's all part of this spiritual game being played by the controllers in this world that are trying to steer us into the transhumanist agenda okay these people that are running the show uh, the ones that belong to the ancient mystery school orders, the secret societies of today, uh, the people that we would call the quote-unquote elites in the power circles, the, the 13 royal family bloodlines, however you want to view these people, the controllers of this place. We know, we have an idea as to who some of them are, but uh, largely we don't really know who's really calling all the shots at the top of the structure. But we do know some of the things that they're up to, and... Uh, we've been able through, you know, studying different uh, different philosophies and different uh, scientific principles and all of these different different things. We've learned some of their operating principles through looking back at the ancient alchemical sciences and, and viewing them through a fresh lens because we've all been taught, oh, alchemy, that's, that's just a bunch of nonsense. They tried to turn lead into gold, and this was the precursor of chemistry, and it was all a bunch of nonsense and hooey and, and you know, magical thinking and all of that kind of stuff, and they've, they've poo-pooed all that stuff. Same goes with astrology and, you know, what we would call magic and that kind of thing. It's all fake. It's all stupid. It's all, you know, these, these people, these backwards people, they, they didn't really know anything. And, you know, we, we have science now, so we know better than them. 
and and that's kind of the uh, framework that we've all been raised in to some degree or another here in modern society. But when you take a look back at some of these things with fresh eyes, trying to unlearn the things you've been taught, uh, you find more truth in the older ways, the older teachings, than what you do in our modern scientific paradigm, because that's all materialism, hyper-materialism that negates anything spiritual or any ramification that exists outside their little box of objectivity that they, they like to try to measure everything in. So, that being the case, we have other ways of looking at the world than they do. And when we open our mind and our spirit and our eyes to these new ways of looking at things, well, it's, it's paradigm-changing, folks. It truly is. And people are beginning to wake up, and it's a spiritual awakening. People are beginning to see the corruption. And the corruption, well, that's just, that's just the, you know, getting, putting your toe in the water with everything that's been going on in our reality for as far back, further back than we all go anyway. Uh, so, you know, there's all these things, these hidden power structures and stuff that are being revealed to us now. That's what the book of Revelation is about. It's the unveiling. Okay, these things have always been there. It's just people never perceived them before. And now that there's this spiritual awakening going on, people are beginning to perceive what's really going on behind the quote-unquote veil. All right? It's being exposed just as God said it would be. It's being shown for what it is, and people are just now coming to the realization, hey, you know what? Uh, there's all this corruption. There's all this evil going on. There's all these things. It's always been that way, folks. It's just been very well hidden up until now. But now, people are beginning to see it for what it is. And, you know, that's that's the bottom line here. So that being the case, I do think we have a lot of hope in changing things now and turning things around uh, from where the intention of these people in positions of power, where they want it to go. Uh, I think we could really break their paradigm with this. And I think that's that's part of the plan for a lot of them, too. These people in positions of power, there's all different factions within this, this control structure group. And some people, you know, in these high echelons of these places, they want a future for humanity. They don't want it to be all post-humanity. They, they think, uh, you know, that humanity should take its rightful place in the cosmos here. In, in the way of things and reach its full potential but there's others who think that they could build something better and they're the ones pushing for this transhuman or post-human agenda okay so it could still go either way and how it goes all depends upon each and every one of us what way we want it to go so that being the case we need to choose which side we're going to step on are we going to stand on the side of humanity, or are we going to go the way of transhumanism, which goes to things like concepts like the multiverse, or what they call the metaverse, what they're building as the metaverse, and, and you'll see that more in, in coming days, how they really try to push the notion of there being a multiverse, rather than just how we traditionally thought uh, we live in a universe, this is the the 
the place that we live, it's a universe. Well, now they're pushing that there's this idea of a multiverse, a never-ending, limitless multiverse where we exist uh, in many, many, many different ways and different forms throughout this multiverse. And it's a neat concept to think about. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that's being heavily pushed right now because it messes with the consciousness field, messes with man's consciousness. All right? Thinking in this way. Same thing with this quantum science. You could exist in two different states at once. Have we ever actually physically seen that in reality? Aside from what a model in a computer shows us? Has anyone ever witnessed that? Something existing in two states at once. The, the Schrodinger's cat argument. Is the cat alive and dead, both at the same time? In quantum superposition, as they say? A potential? See, and that's the whole thing. It draws upon uh, some old alchemical ideas of potential. Okay? Everything has a potential, and, and you know... Potential and manifestation. There, there's These are things that uh, are part of the great circle of things, so to say. But uh, it kind of leverages off that idea. But it, it makes it into something that uh, is not really an observable truth. Uh, but, see, that that's the whole thing. Science, it's all about trying to find observable truths. But yet they have all of these theories that have no observable truth behind them. And it's all intended to twist human consciousness into a knot and make people shut down. That's what it's about. Uh, so they, they come up with these rules, but they arbitrarily break these rules when they want it to fit their paradigm, when they want it to fit their model that works, maybe in a mathematical way or something. Uh, then they steer the reality to fit that model. And we see so much of that going on today. So that that's what it's about. It's an artificial model. They make an artificial model that doesn't exist in this natural reality. It's a cheap knockoff. And they try to steer the reality into the artificial. That's what transhumanism's about. And it goes way beyond just changing man himself. It's changing the whole world, transmuting the whole world into an artificial system. The natural order, the natural system, changing the natural into the unnatural or artificial. And that's one of the ways that they do this. This is how they do it. They, they model it. They make a synthetic model of what they want. They build the model. And then they shape the reality to fit the model that they made. Rather than making a model of the reality. They do it backwards. Just like everything else alchemical. Uh, backwards. The texts many times are backwards. The instructions are backwards in old alchemical thought. Done this way on purpose. Well, they've inverted things. It's this inversion principle at work. So that that's what it's about. Anyway, that's about all I got for tonight, folks. I mean, I, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. But understand, uh, there's this spiritual game going on that the transhumanists are playing. To them, it's a game. To us, it's spiritual warfare. So... Put on your full armor of God and be ready for battle with these people because, you know, it's time to play the game. And we all need to step up and, and start playing it and not, uh, not buying into the paradigm that they're selling because they're manipulating us in many, many ways. And they're doing it through artificial means. 
and it's not right, and people inherently know it. So anyway, that's about all. I hope you all have a good night. Thank you for listening.